welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation, please like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero's story. And in this episode, I met with Aaron Beatus, a lovely man who reminded me of a school friend. As Aaron shared his story and it unfolded, I was just so grateful that he shared and was so vulnerable and honest about the stages of this journey of addiction because it reminded me of this school friend and it made me realize how easy it is for us to forget or, or be blinded to, I guess, the pressures of life. And especially when you have a high-powered corporate job and without knowing sometimes how to actually navigate it, then seeking these ways to numb the pain or the stress, just it, they happen. And I guess his story shows that it's quite easy for people, no matter at what level of society or place in society, to fall into addiction. It's a heartwarming story with a positive message and a happy outcome. Enjoy this one with Aaron Beatus. Hello and welcome. I'm Aveline Clark, and this is another episode of Kintsugi Heroes. And I'm here with Aaron Beatus today. How are you doing, Aaron? good thank you how are you i'm really well i'm really well thank you for joining me it's a pleasure to okay. have you my pleasure so here on the podcast obviously it's all about telling stories and you've you've got a story you'd like to share with us which i'm very grateful for um let's get into it shall we uh, how about you take us back and take us to the beginning where does your story start yeah okay so i'll, I'll try and paint a bit of a picture i I moved to London in my early 20s and I was working in the construction construction industry. Um, I started working for a global construction company and when I was 29 years age, I moved over to Malaysia as the company was expanding throughout Asia. Uh, I was fortunate enough to travel the world when I was living in London and, and my, my early years in my early 20s was fantastic. Um, I always drank socially and it was never a problem for me. However, alcohol would become a problem later on in my, my years. Um, my, my real drinking began at the age of 35. I was promoted to a construction director, Southeast Asia, which saw me overseeing several countries. Um, with the role became a lot of stress. There was a lot of stress associated with the role. I was accountable and reporting directly to the board back in London. Um, and quite frankly, I, I couldn't sleep at night. Um, I, I had been diagnosed with anxiety when I was a child. My anxiety was, was terrible. Um, and I started to fall into a hole of depression. I wasn't really enjoying the job. Um, whilst I had worked very hard to get to this position in my life and I was very proud to get to this position, um, the, the job itself took over my life. Mm. I originally started drinking at night time 
so I could sleep. Um, and then over the course of kind of three or four years, this, this turned into a full blown addiction. Um, I found myself then drinking at lunchtime. Um, I found myself drinking more of an evening. And before I knew it, I was drinking in the mornings before I started work. About a year after I got the promotion to the construction director, my wife and I lost a child during pregnancy. Um, this was a massive blow for me because I had always wanted to be a father. Um, it was something that I was on my to-do list in my life. I wanted to be a father. I was in a happy marriage with my partner. Um, we lost a child during pregnancy and this only made matters worse for me. I went to a doctor in Singapore and explained to them that I was depressed, I was suicidal, I was drinking too much, and their answer was to prescribe me Xanax and Valium. Now, at the time, I was pretty naive and I didn't know what Xanax and Valium were, but this, again, became a part of my addiction story and I started misusing Xanax and Valium and drinking as well on top of that. So I don't like the term functioning alcoholic, but for a number of years I held down that job. Um, and I, as I said, I was drinking in the morning before work. It got to the point where I was drinking up to a half a bottle of vodka at 4.30 in the morning before I started work. Um, this went on for a period of, of circa two years. My liver was failing. Again, I was suicidal. Um, I ended up pushing my wife away and our relationship failed. Our marriage fell apart. And eventually it got to the point where I lost my job, you know, something that I had worked all these years for to get. Um, and I was dismissed from that job. I came back to Australia when I was 39. Um, I didn't know much about sobriety or getting sober and I attempted to get sober on my own. What happened then is because I stopped drinking cold turkey, I had a number of seizures, which also cost or almost cost me my life. And I was in and out of hospital for a number of years later. I tried rehab after rehab uh, and continued. I would go into the rehab thinking that I would stop drinking. Um, and, and commit to the rehab. One rehab I, I was in, I was drinking whilst I was in the rehab. Um, I, I couldn't stop. My whole life revolved around drinking. Um, when was my next drink? How could I get my next drink? What time mm -hmm. does the bottle open? What time does the pub shut? Everything revolved around alcohol. I wasted years of my life and, and a, and a lot of money on doctors, on rehabs, on hospitals, um, and it was all due to alcohol. My my marriage by that stage had, had dissolved, um, which, which I still hurt today about. Um, my wife was very important to me and she supported me throughout my my addiction, um, but in the end, the marriage fell apart and I, I ended up pushing her away, um, which was the, the, the biggest regret of my life. Um, I entered a fourth rehab at Wesley Mission in Ashfield 
and it was the this was after I had tried to get another job in construction. Um, again, I was pushing rehab to the side and thought, no, if I keep working, I, you know, and keep my head down, maybe I can stop drinking. I got a job back in construction and I had a beer on a Friday afternoon after work after I had been sober for six months. After I had that beer on the Friday afternoon, I was at the bottle at nine o'clock in the morning waiting for, for it to open and, again, my drinking would start again. So I am an addict and I have a problem that I can't stop drinking once I start. Um, a normal person can have a drink and put the bottle down, whereas I have the disease of addiction and I do believe it is a disease. Um, and once I start drinking, I cannot, I clearly can't stop. Um, so after that relapse, I ended up smashing my car in, in a, a collision and thank God I didn't hurt anyone. I was three times over the limit. Uh, when I was, when I was caught, um, I almost killed myself in that accident. And as I said, thank God no one else was injured. I then hit a new rock bottom. Um, there was a failed suicide attempt. Um, and by the grace of God, that didn't, that didn't happen. Um, and I, I, I went into a fourth rehab or my fourth time in a rehab and I surrendered. And I had been working with AA and working with counsellors previous to that and I was told to surrender to the program and was told that, look, Aaron, you are an addict and you can't drink like everybody else. For a long time I thought I could manage my drinking. Uh, I thought I could maybe drink socially. I thought I could have one or two on the weekends. but. Time after time, again, I proved that this was not the case. So in my fourth rehab, I, I remember, you know, after I'd smashed the car, lost it, lost another job in construction. Uh, I remember being down on my knees and, and praying for, for somebody or for God to, to take this addiction away from me. Um, it was the lowest point I'd ever been at. Um, I, again, I was, I was still suicidal in the rehabilitation center, which was a concern. Um, my depression had hit an all time low. I didn't want to live anymore. I, I had, I had no gas left in the tank. Um, everything that I had and everything that I loved, addiction took away from me and I was left with nothing. I'd worked so hard for all these years to get to where I, I wanted to be in the construction industry. Um, and I ended up being in an industry that I, that I hated. Um, and alcohol took that away from me. It took my wife away from me. My parents disowned me after, after supporting me for a very long time. But it got to a point where my parents said, look, enough's enough, Aaron. We, we, we don't want anything to do with you. Um, uh, my sister. Uh, also disowned me so my family was all that I had left and then I, I didn't have them which was heartbreaking um, so I knew that I had to change and I knew that I had to surrender um, to this addiction so I did the rehab and um, I put everything that I could into it 
and I came out and I started going to AA Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and I got a, a, a drug and alcohol counsellor. Was that the first time you had a counsellor um, after coming out of a rehab? Yes, it was the first time I had a counsellor. I, I met this counsellor in rehab uh, and he was fantastic. His name was David. And when I left, I knew that I wanted to keep seeing David because he, David himself was an addict that had been through addiction mm-hmm. um, and come out the other side and I found I could really connect with other addicts that have been through addiction. Um, I, I had a lot of psychologists, um, psychiatrists, Leading up to to this point, um, mm. none of them seemed to make any difference. They were prescribing me all different kinds of drugs for my depression and my anxiety, um, also anti-craving medication to stop me drinking, but no, nothing worked. The only time that I had a true connection and felt someone could help me was when I was working with another addict that had been through it. And it was funny you say that. Sorry, Aaron, I just want to ask this because when you were talking about the journey when you were in the job in, in Asia, um, and I know you were married and I was wondering, you know, who, who have you got around you apart from your wife? And then after the marriage resolved, you know, I was thinking, who have you got that really understands you, you know, that, that you've got in your circle? And it sounds to me like you, you just answered that, I think. Is that right? That it, it, it came. Yeah. It through the form of someone who'd been through what you were going yes. through. So I, I was desperately searching for answers. I, I was I was trying Alcoholics Anonymous that that wasn't working. I it, I wouldn't say it didn't work. Alcoholics Anonymous is still something that I am part of today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still part of the fellowship, and that did help get me sober. But I I strongly believe there was two things. I was working with a counsellor, uh, mm-hmm. David. And then there was working with my sponsor who sponsored me through Alcoholics Anonymous, who too was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. His name was Nathan, and he took me through the 12 steps of the Alcoholics Anonymous big book. So I worked the steps with him, and in parallel, I went to counselling. So I was working with addicts. I was doing yep. uh, AA meetings as many times a week as I could. Um, during this stage, I wasn't working. I was on Centrelink. So Again, I know a lot of people are on Centrelink and on benefits, and I understand that. But for me, it was another low point in my life that I had worked so hard, and now I, I couldn't afford to live because I had simply lost everything. The amount of money that I had spent on hospitals mm. and treatment and rehabs, and then combine that with how much I spent on drinking and prescription drugs, so I completely drained all the savings that I had, I had had. Yeah, yeah. Um, so over a period of time, I started to get better, and I got up three months of sobriety, and then I got up six months of sobriety, and I started doing volunteer work at a local church, and I was feeding the homeless. And for me. That gave me a spark. That that gave me something. Um, I hadn't worked in a long time. I didn't think there was any future for me. But when I started working and giving back to people, I realised that this is what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I stopped looking at construction jobs and I, and I threw everything I had into studying mental health and studying addiction. 
So over a period of a couple of years, I continued to study. I continued with counselling. I continued with AA. I wanted to understand more about depression and anxiety uh, and, and mental health overall. And I wanted to understand more about addiction and, and how this disease works. Um, as I said, I I strongly believe it, it is a disease. And, uh, you know, a, a gentleman said to me, Aaron, you're not a bad person. You're a sick person trying to get well. You're not a bad person trying to be good. And unfortunately, with, with any addiction, there is a, a lot of guilt and remorse and shame. I, I did horrible, unspeakable things when I was in active addiction. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of that kind of six years that, that addiction took off of me is, is a horrible blur. But I, during that time, I, I hurt my family. You know, I, I hurt my wife. I, I hurt the people around me that loved me. I, I hurt friends. Um, and overall, I, I hurt myself. I, I had no self-worth. Um, but, but finally, when I had up kind of six months, uh, sobriety and was, and had some support around me, I started to see the light. I started to discover my self-worth again and started to discover that there's something worth living for. And I thought, to myself, if I can help one other person get over or get through addiction and mental health, then I'll be a, a happy man. And that was the goal I set for myself. I just wanted to help one more person. So as I said, mm. I studied mental health and addiction and did some volunteer work in rehabs. Um, and three years ago, I started a job at a company called Grow, where I still work today. GROW is what we call a residential rehabilitation centre, which is dual diagnosis, which uh, works with people with mental illness and addiction problems. I was originally employed at GROW as a residential program worker and worked there for circa eight months, uh, where I was promoted to the manager of the rehab. So for me, this this was a dream come true. I never thought in a million years and in such a short period of time that I could turn my life around and, and not only help people on the ground but be the manager of, of this rehab. So the rehab is situated over near Liverpool and it's on seven acres of farmland and it's a beautiful rehab and and I get to help people every day. Um, shortly after I was promoted to manager, I was then promoted to national manager, which sees me overlooking the other rehabs across Australia. So at the moment we have one in the ACT and we're looking to open up another one in Melbourne and the Northern Territory. Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us to continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kitsukiheroes.com.au. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback you can email me direct using ian at kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story. 
So I'm very involved in growing rehabilitation, in helping people. I get to spend time with our clients, you know, every day one-on-one and, and, and help them as much as I can. Um, I have a great team that works with me at the moment. And I've found myself in this place where I, I'm not earning the money I used to earn. I used to have huge amounts of money and the fancy house and the fancy car, and I was miserable. I don't have all those things now, and I can tell you that addiction made me very humble and made me understand gratitude. Um, gratitude is one thing that they teach you a lot in, in, in AA, um, in the fellowship, and I became very grateful for the smaller things that I have in my life. Um, I now, as I said, I now get to help, you know, people that are suffering through addiction and mental health. Um, I love my job. I'm now at a point where I have a relationship with my ex-wife and we're getting along together, and that's fantastic. I never thought she would be part of my life again. Um, and for the first time in years and years, I can honestly say that I'm happy. Um, I, I really am happy, and I'm happy with the work that I'm doing, and I'm continuing to study. Um, I think one day I would like to open up my own counselling studio where I can help more people and, and, and work with them on the weekends when I'm not working at Grow. Um, I want to help as many people as I can, and, and, and helping people keeps me sober. Um, that's, that's the big thing about being in recovery. We're taught to help people and share the message and share the strength and share the stories. And that's what I get to do every day, and it, and it helps keep me sober. I'm still part of the AA fellowship. I still attend AA mm-hmm. meetings, not as many as what I used to attend. Um, so for me, the, the rehab got me sober, but it was AA and, and counselling, the right type of counselling that, that kept me sober. Um, mm-hmm. So, look, I'm... I'm, I'm very blessed. I, I, I don't have suicidal thoughts anymore. My depression has completely been alleviated. Um, I still suffer from anxiety now and then, but it's nowhere near as bad as what I used to have um, when I was working in construction. And, and what happens is I used to drink to combat my anxiety, but, of course, drinking only made your anxiety worse in the long run. Um, I, I, I got off the Valium, I got off the Xanax, which was which was quite a struggle as well to get off them. They're both very addictive prescribed medications. Um, and I stopped drinking and now I have a life that I can be proud of. I have my mother and father back in my life. I have my sister in my life and she's very important to me. Um, I moved down next to my sister so we, we see each other every day. I talk to my mum and dad every day and, you know, four years ago I couldn't see any of that being imaginable. So that's wow. kind of my story and that's that's how where I've come to be where I am today. What a, what an incredible journey, Aaron. I felt the highs and lows through all of that and um, I just have to say, I, I guess, thank you to the people that helped you you know, through the recovery. Like you said, it was AA that got you sober, but then it was the right counsellors and people to help you recover. 
And yeah. that's a beautiful thing. And I'm so pleased to hear that you've, you know, reconciled those really important relationships. That's a beautiful thing. So you've got those important people in your life. Yeah. Um, at what point on the recovery journey did you sort of have a, a realisation or an acceptance that, you know what, I'm going to make it? Did you have a, a I, point I, like I, that? Yeah, I... Uh, it, it, I, I don't. I won't go into too much detail, but the the suicide attempt was was very real. Um, and I, as I said, it was only through the grace of God that 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 didn't eventuate. Um, and I I had really lost all, all all hope. I'd lost everything. Um, and it was it was after that when I I I went into rehab. And I, and I thought maybe there's a chance I can do this. Maybe there's a chance I can turn my life around. And as I said, I I, I was on my knees in the rehab, praying for, for help and praying for for God to take this addiction away from me. Um, it was it was probably around six months after I left the rehab and I was receiving counselling and was part of the AA fellowship. And and when I started volunteering, that was another big thing and started giving back to the community. I thought maybe I could do something with my life where I can help other people. And that was the kind of light bulb moment where I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay sober. And I'm going to help other people in addiction and, and, and with poor mental illness. That kind of gave me some 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 hope or some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and as soon as I made that decision to to help other people, that that was the real the kickstarter for me to say, you know what, I'm not going to drink again. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, so it's been around three years now since I've had my last drink, and I don't crave, I don't crave it anymore. Um, I don't, I don't have urges. I can go sit in a restaurant or in a bar and watch other people drink around me. And and as I said, I I I feel really blessed to be to be where I am. That's fantastic. I'm so pleased to hear that. It's interesting that you've taken, you've ended up in a senior management position. How important was your experience in the construction industry and being a very senior manager there in, you know, learning, well, I guess, being able to take on this role with Grow? Yeah, it was amazing how it works. When I, when I was first interviewed as for the residential program worker, I, I did tell them a little bit about my history. Um, and told them, you know, that I, I had been through addiction and, and I wanted to, to learn to, to help people. When I was interviewed for the role as the manager, um, this was obviously a, a big step up. So I, I was very candid in the interview that I had with them. And I told, uh, at the time, the CEO and the managing director exact, my exact story. Um, I didn't lie about anything. I didn't sugarcoat it. I told them pretty much what I've just told the audience here today. And, and, and they, they loved it. They wanted someone that had been through addiction, but they also wanted someone 
who can do the management side of things, which is managing the budget, um, you know, making sure we're, we've got beds full, making sure we're not, we're not spending too much money on food or other things in the facility. And I had all that background from the construction industry, managing budgets and, and, you know, spreadsheets and all those kinds of things that I did in construction was just came second nature to me. So I had the addiction side of it and I'd been through addiction and overcome it. And then I had some, some pieces and bits and pieces that I could take from the construction industry and bring over to this new role. Must have felt, yeah. I guess, in a way, rewarding, you know, that you could salvage something from your earlier career. It was, yeah, it, it did feel good and it was great, to be honest, in, in the interview as, with the CEO and the managing director and to be, to be honest and, and, and not lie to them. If I was going for another job mm-hmm. in construction, there's no way I could tell them that I'd been an alcoholic and I'd lost my job and I'd lost my wife and I'm depressed and everything else. They'd simply look the other way, mm-hmm. whereas grow looked at looked at what I'd been yeah. through and looked to where what what I'd become and what I want to do with my life. Um and it's a great organization and they saw something in me and said, you know what, I think he's the right man for the job. And I, I, never in a million years did I think I was going to get the job as a manager. And I remember getting a call from the CEO uh shortly after the interview and he said, Aaron, we, we'd like to offer you the job. And I, I nearly fell off my chair, you know, and I, I, I was in tears. Um, and then again, shortly after to be offered the job as the national manager again was another, another moment that I, I just couldn't believe. How important was it, Aaron, for you to have belief in yourself to get through your recovery? Uh, it, it was extremely important. Um, I didn't, everyone kind of said, you know, they have hope. I, I, I hold on to hope um, and hopefully I will, I will get better. You know, other people that I was in, in recovery with and in rehabs with and, and for me, hope, hope wasn't enough. I'd reached a point in my life where I couldn't just hope that I'm going to get better. I, I had to get better and I had to believe that I could get better. Um, and it was only when I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous and working and being around other addicts and hearing their stories about how they'd been sober for three years, he'd been sober for 20 years, he'd been sober for 40 years, and hearing these stories of recovery and and and, and that gave me belief that if they could do it, I could do it as well. I was very, you know, strong-minded and I, you know, I... In my, in my early career in construction and, and in my later years in construction before addiction got hold of me. And I thought to myself, if I can start my job as a carpenter and become the head of construction Southeast Asia or the construction director Southeast Asia, surely I can put my mind into recovery and I can get sober. Um, but but it was hard, you know. Addiction is is an extremely difficult thing, you know, to the point where I was willing to do anything, anything to get a drink. Um, you know, I was a top up drinker where I I would have to drink kind of every two hours, otherwise I'd start shaking and start sweating. So it wasn't just about having a drink in the morning, then having one at lunch. I was topping up all day, every day. 
um, and, and destroying my mental health and destroying my body at the same time. So as once I started spending time with other addicts and hearing their stories, that gave me belief that I could do it as well. And if, if you don't believe in yourself, then, I, you know, it's hard to make it happen. It's a powerful story, Aaron. How, how rewarding has it been to be able to give back through Grow and work with others and, and help them, you know, find their lives it's, again? It's amazing. It's amazing. I, I couldn't ask for a, a better job, a better life, a better anything. Um, right, right back when I started, I said to myself, if I could help one person, I'll be happy. And now I get, I get to help hundreds of people. Um, you know, and, and, and it, and it's fantastic. And, and look, it, it's, it's a job that comes with its challenges. You know, not, not everybody makes it the, the first time. Um, and, but I, I, I reflect back on my first rehabs where I didn't make it either. You know, I wasn't ready. I, I had to, I had to hit my own rock bottom before I was ready to make a change. And, and unfortunately, people in their own recovery have got to hit their own rock bottom first before they're ready to make a change. And, and some of our clients aren't, aren't ready for that yet. Um, but, but people that stay with the program and graduate the program have extremely great success rates of maintaining their sobriety. And that makes me a very, very happy man. It's just beautiful to hear how, you know, what started out as your career and, and your passion in construction obviously is a 180 degree shift from where you are today. And it sounds like you've got a much better life. You're much happier. You're in flow oh, yeah. and you're able to live in a state of joy, which is what life really is all about, right? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a hundred times happier than I was even when I, I wasn't drinking and I was in construction. I'm, I'm more happier than, than I, I was back then. I, I have what I, what I deem to be one of the best jobs anyone could have and I'm forever grateful for it. That's wonderful. I've got, one other thing that's sort of in my mind, and that is people listening to this might think, well, you earned all this money back then and you had lots of money and you've said that you're not earning as much money now. How important is money then to happiness? You've experienced the highs, the lows and everything in between. So what's your experience with this, where money sits? I used to believe that, yeah, I used to believe that money was very important and and I used to believe in materialistic things. So I, I had I had the flash car, I had the flash apartment over over in Asia, um, and I was miserable. I now have a very humble home uh, down near the beach. Um, not on the beach, I can't afford that, but it's close to the beach. Um, I have a dog. And, and I, I earn, you know, maybe one fifth of what I was earning before. And I'm, I'm extremely happy. Um, so for me, money does not provide happiness. And I, you know, I, I think I'm living proof of that because I, I've had, I've had more money than you can poke a stick at. And I, and it, it didn't make me happy. Um, now I, I have enough mm. money to feed myself and clothe myself and, and go out to dinner every now and then, um, and I get to help people every day, and that's that's the perfect life for me. That's beautiful. Um, in in closing, Aaron, one last question: If 
there is someone listening to your story who's going through anything that you've been through, is there, is there something that you'd like to say to them or share with them? You know, I, I, I gave up. I gave up on life. I gave up on, I never thought I'd get better. Um, I, I thought I was going to be an alcoholic to the day I died. Um, cause I, I, I could not stop for the, for, for the life of me. I, I couldn't stop. Um, so my advice for anyone that's going through what I've been through is, is to A, not give up and B, is to talk to other addicts out there that are in recovery because there's so many stories of, of hope and happiness out there in the community and people that have gone through it and come out the other side. So, you know, never give up and, 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 and make that effort to, to, to get into a recovery circle, whether it's AA or whether it's something else, just work with other addicts and people that have been through it. And I think there's a true connection from addict to addict that, you know, if they can make it, maybe I've got a chance. That would be my advice. Brilliant and very powerful connection and is it you know yeah connecting on a real level and a human level is is where the where the i think hope and and the healing begins right yeah that's where the healing begins absolutely well thank you aaron for sharing your story and um it's it's a really powerful one and i'm just really grateful for you having the courage to share your story and go through what you've been through obviously you're helping so many people in your work now in your life and from those listening to this i know you're going to help more people so i just want to thank you very much my pleasure it's been my pleasure i hope it i hope it uh it, you know touches and reaches out to someone out there we hope you've enjoyed this episode of kintsugi heroes please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people if you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below. Join us next week for our next hero story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way.